Welcome to the Wicked Good Momcast, a podcast for Boston moms by Boston moms, a space to hear stories from real moms, to celebrate the beauty of motherhood, and to normalize its challenges. Tune in while you fold laundry, commute to work or school, or get cozy after a long day in the trenches. Motherhood is hard, but it doesn't have to be lonely. You are a Wicked Good Mom. And now, here are your Wicked Good Momcast hosts, Megan and Shannon. Welcome back to the Wicked Good Momcast. Today's episode is all about what it looks like for real moms to prioritize their mental health. We know there are so many obstacles standing between busy moms and self-care. We will hear from our own Boston Moms team members about the creative ways in which they maintain their own mental health. And we will hear from Megan and Shannon about their unique journeys with mental health care. This is an important conversation, and we are so glad that you've chosen to listen. Hello, Boston moms. First off, a huge thank you to everyone who's listened to episode one so far, subscribed, and given us great reviews. We're blown away and deeply grateful for the support of this community. In today's episode, you're going to hear sound bites from our Boston moms team members at the end of the show. These short clips will hopefully encourage and inspire you to think about the different ways we can all care for our mental health keeping in mind that there's no one-size-fits-all solution here. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and this is something that's important to both Shannon and myself. Make sure you stay tuned until the end of the show for local mental health resources available in Greater Boston. Shannon, as a licensed social worker, you must be very excited for this conversation. I really am. I have worked in the mental health field for years before I had kids, and it's a deep-rooted passion of mine not only because of my professional work, but because of how the mental health world has served me in my personal life too. But I do feel like there's some housekeeping we need to do before we start this conversation. It would be kind of naive to think that all of our listeners have a positive view of counseling or medications for mental health. So I just want to say that everyone's feelings on this topic are completely valid. Megan and I will share what works for us, but our stories in no way devalue or invalidate anyone else's story. There's a lot of stigma when it comes to mental health, and this can stem from a lot of things, negative past experiences, generational beliefs passed down from family, or just a variety of other environmental factors. Um, Megan, what kind of negative stigmas have you heard associated with mental health care? Where do I start? I think most people, uh, moms specifically, probably there's like an inkling that it somehow shows a sign of weakness if you admit that you might need help with this. Um, There's a feeling that we we should be able to navigate through mental health crises without intervention. And then there's the issue with the word crazy being tossed around without thought um, and how that word can be really triggering for some people. Um, and has a negative connotation, too. Definitely. So for someone who does have a negative stigma associated with mental health care, but they're feeling like they might be opening... Oh, sorry. Okay, cut that, and I'm going to cough. <laughs> Two words. So for someone who has a negative stigma associated with mental health care, but they're feeling like they're open to challenging that stance, where do they even start? I think they start right here. We're two real women who feel passionate, passionately about removing the stigma around mental health. And, you know, you can start by listening to this podcast and hearing what we have to say. But I think it's really important to find other people, influencers, friends, community members who feel the same and listen to what they have to say. Because the more stories you open yourself up to, the more that you'll realize that it's really not something that's uncommon. Um, and there shouldn't be a stigma associated with it. And that's you know, runs the full breadth of mental health care. It's, uh, you know, for depression and anxiety, all the way to, you know, diagnoses from the DSM. There is a stigma related to all of it. And I think the more you learn and the more you sort of lean into listening to these types of stories, the more you realize that there shouldn't be. I agree. And you brought up a really good point about social media. Mm -hmm. Um, There are so many accounts now to follow that kind of normalize mental health diagnoses. So, and I think there's some general accounts, but then there's also very specific accounts. I know I follow some for anxiety Mm -hmm. and some of them are more on the serious side and really help me. And others are kind of more on the joking side, but that helps me too, Mm -hmm. to kind of relate to someone and laugh um, a little bit, but 
also, also feel like I'm not alone. I like other say, people yeah, get it. So you don't feel alone. Exactly. Yeah. Like some of those like meme accounts, like point of view, I'm a mom with anxiety or like some of the um, the mom influencers that I follow. Um, I'll have to find one that as an example, we can link to in the show notes, but things like uh, talking about intrusive thoughts as a mother mm-hmm. and things like, I'm, I mean, honestly, I just saw one last week. I wish I could remember whose it was because what she was saying, it was like, you know, when you're driving and it's like, oh my gosh, did I like lock the front door or did I leave a stove burner on or did is, you know, if you're laying down at night, is my baby breathing? Like all these kinds of things, like just to see, literally see that somebody else has those same thoughts and to normalize it makes you feel so much less alone. So even if it's um, using entertainment to feel that way or to make that connection, I think it definitely has been to the advantage of our generation and to our, this generation of moms to know that that information is out there and you can find it if you look for it. A hundred percent. And I know too, there are so many accounts, not just for adults, anxiety or depression, but mm-hmm. also for kids. Mm-hmm. I have a friend that follows several accounts because her kid has a really bad child anxiety. Mm-hmm. And that's been so helpful for her to kind of like what we try to do with Boston moms, connect mm-hmm. with other moms and know that she's not alone and that her son isn't alone either. Yeah, absolutely. And anytime you can find any sort of like resource to make your life easier, um, it's definitely a benefit. So I think definitely, you know, look for it. If you haven't yet, yeah. try to find accounts, try to find community members, other women specifically, I think can be really helpful Um, And that's a really good place to start. Well, Megan, would you mind sharing a little bit of your story and experience with mental health care? What has it looked like in the past for you? And what does your journey look like presently? Um, And how did you get to this point in your journey? Yes, I would happily talk about this. Shannon and I have talked about this together as friends. This is something that I am incredibly open about and something that I would have I would have never really guessed that I would be so open to talking about. Like if somebody had asked me years ago, um, I am the child of two parents who for sure had anxiety. Uh, Now that I look back on it, I kind of joke with my dad that he made me the way I am. (laughs) Like, you know, I think some of it is certainly genetic. Um, And I also sort of grew up in a family and in a culture where it was expected that you just kind of trudge through uh, any of your challenges I think now um, through my own self-discovery and therapy, I've realized that I had some OCD tendencies as a kid that I used to manage my anxiety. And I've done a lot of reflection on that just because now I'm raising children who also lean uh, more anxiously. And it's really important to me that I can kind of flag that stuff so that it doesn't become a burden to them the way that it was for me as a child. I am a high achieving person and I always have been. So I'm the firstborn daughter and I am type A and being anxious and having some OCD tendencies uh, just sort of all makes sense if you look at me from the outside. And so nobody really ever offered help to me because it just looked like I was doing all right. And that's um, I think there can be like a facade for people who are like me. Um, It's easy to hide behind. And I made it all the way through high school and again, high achieving. I went to college and in college I had some family turmoil and I really didn't know what to do. I had a long-term boyfriend who's now my husband and some really fabulous friends who basically said like, it's, you need to get some help here. And so I saw my campus um, counselor actually, and I it's something I don't I don't know if they talk about this a lot on college campuses now. I would assume that they do, but I knew that it existed. I knew that there was like mental health help on campus, but I didn't it still felt like I don't know, like I was I don't know, labeling myself or like it, it didn't feel like a good thing to go there. Like I felt like I must really need help if I need to go to this like basement office, you know, and check in with somebody. But it was uh, extremely helpful for me because it just gave me a place. It was my first experience with any sort of therapy. And it gave me a place to sort of just put my feelings. That meant that I didn't have to shoulder them as a busy college student with work and other things. And I have always carried this a little bit of guilt um, about like, you know, putting my junk on somebody else, which you should never feel that way. Like I, Shannon, I will happily take your junk whenever you need me to. (laughs) Like, I am happy to always listen to people, so I should know that people are willing to listen for me, too. But it does always feel like you don't really want to, you know, burden somebody with your issues. And so 
having somebody uh, who is not related to my life at all listen to me and sort of talk through things for me and walk me through this family trauma that was happening was really helpful for me. And I used those tools, honestly, through my young adulthood. Like I would, I always think of therapy as a tool. And even now, as I'll talk about what, you know, my current situation, I always think like, Going to therapy is a place for me to put my stuff. It's almost like a diary, but it's also giving me tools for like the next time I encounter a feeling like this or the next time I feel triggered by something, instead of going down what I call my rabbit hole, I can like lean on the tools that I have in my toolbox. So I use that in young adulthood and as a high achieving person, I started a family young. (laughs) I had my first baby in 2013 and I probably had undiagnosed PPA, so postpartum anxiety. Um, as an anxious person, I had never been medicated. I'd always leaned anxiously anyway, but I realized now when I look back, my husband was in the military and I was alone a lot with my baby and I was really hyper fixated on stuff, like for sure in a way that's not healthy. I think every mom becomes nervous, more nervous when you have this little baby to take care of, especially when you're alone. But, um, when I think about my behaviors, I had trouble driving him anywhere. Like there were things that are just outside of the scope of normal, but I was never diagnosed and everything went on okay. I had my second child in 2015 um, and I had a very traumatic labor uh, and delivery experience. And I pretty much didn't come out of the cloud after that. Like Mm -hmm. it was, it all ended up happy, which is a blessing, but I just felt like, down. He was born in November and so it was and I was living in Connecticut and everything was gray and it's yeah. not pretty outside and it was diff- a lot different than having a child in the springtime. Like those fall and winter babies are tough, man. Um and I remember when he was like I don't know maybe 8 weeks old, like I'd already been to my 6-week checkup and I filled out my postpartum depression questionnaire and I was truthful, I thought, but they didn't flag me for depression, you know, and you know, whatever. And, but eight weeks, he was about eight weeks old and I was driving in my car and he was with me. I was driving to pick up my older son at the, uh, at preschool. And I felt literally like everything was dark. That's the best way that I could explain it. Like I felt like this unbelievable feeling of doom, like not like, not that I don't think I was having like a true suicidal ideation, but I just felt like, what am I doing here? Like, I just felt very sad in a way that I had never, ever felt before. And I called my best friend afraid. I was scared. And she was like, you need to go to the doctor. Like, the, you know, do not stop. Do not press go. Do not collect $200. Like, you need to go to the doctor. And so um, she really forced me essentially back to my OB. And I, my OB walked into the office and I burst into tears, like absolutely just like destroyed in this office. And she was just like, You very clearly like are dealing with more than just like, you know, the quote baby blues. Like we can get you through this. You had a traumatic experience. Nobody talked to you about this. Um, You know, I think you need to like you take a step back and, you know, take care of yourself. So I ended up uh, being diagnosed with PPA and PPD and I went on anxiety medication, which was helpful. Um, But I think honestly, at that point, just calling it what it was was helpful for me. So I didn't feel like anything was Honestly, somebody diagnosing me made me feel like something was not wrong with me, that I was like, okay, this is something that is, this is my brain chemistry, um, and, you know, I can get through it. And I did, you know, as the springtime came, I ended up going off my meds um, with the advice of my doctor to try it in the summertime, and everything was okay. Um, Fast forward a couple of years, I had a baby in 2019, my third and final baby, um, and had... I was hospitalized and a hospital bed rest and she was born premature and it was incredibly traumatic. And I had said to my husband and my best friend before, before her birth, because I had a really hard pregnancy that I felt like PPD and PPA was coming for me. Like I was like, you guys need to watch me and I want you to get to, I told my doctors, I was like, I want to be medicated as soon as you see that I am not okay, uh, because I don't know that I'm going to be able to care for myself. And turned out, that I was actually all right. Like after she was born, this is a maybe a um, a positive story for moms who are listening who have had PPD in the past or PPA. I didn't have it after my youngest was born. I felt um, there I had a lot of trauma related to her birth and her, her, my birthing experience that I had to work through. But I 
didn't have the doom and gloom or the hyperfixation that I had had before. I yeah. And so I don't know what was different, honestly, um, maybe more time, maybe just being cognizant that I might feel that way. And I had sort of been able to protect myself or use tools that I had from the past, but I was all right. And then in 2020, um, I, well, you know, the pandemic hit, my mom got sick and I ended up losing my mom really young. She uh, passed away at the age of 53. I had a miscarriage. I, I had a miscarriage for a a baby who we didn't know we hadn't planned for. Um, and then I obviously really wanted and lost. And that was incredibly, like incredibly traumatic for me. Um, I owned a business uh, through the pandemic and I cared for my family and I was just so sad. Like I felt like, you know, my mom got sick. I lost my mom. I got pregnant, but you know, surprise, we lost that baby you know, we're dealing with kids at home without school. We're dealing with a pandemic and not seeing family and not seeing friends. And I'm trying to keep a business afloat during the pandemic. And it was like one thing after another. I just felt like I kept getting kicked, honestly. Um, I, and I said to a loved one, she was like, what do you need? And I said, I need the universe to stop kicking me in the face. Like, that's really how I felt. And I was just so sad. And I kept verbalizing to my husband, who is the most supportive person in the entire world and the only person who I would ever want to walk through any of this with that I just felt like I needed, I just kept saying, I need you to take care of me. I need you to hold me up. And we developed some systems in our family to kind of trudge through. That included, I took sad days, which I still take, by the way, where I would just literally hole up. I actually have a special blanket that I use on my sad days. And I do the very bare minimum. Uh, you know, I'm getting kids off to school or I'm watching a movie with the kids or whatever, but I am couch ridden and I just call it what it is. And I give myself the day to wallow. And that's been healthy for me because it allows me to compartmentalize a little bit. Um, my husband took on a fair amount of the house chores. There were other things, but I also started therapy. Um, and I, before my mom passed away, actually, I knew she was very ill. And, you know, there was a possibility that she would make it out of it. But I was just like, if I, if she doesn't, I'm going to, I'm going to need some help. Um, and so I started seeing a, fair, a therapist virtually, actually started seeing her in office like a month before the pandemic hit. Oh, man. <laughs> I know. And then I like virtual therapy is not the same as going in the office, by the way. Um, But I had that relationship developed. And so I saw her um, virtually. And even through that, though, I was seeing a therapist. But for some reason, I kept feeling like, well, I don't need to be on medicine. Mm -hmm. Like all of this sadness is normal because my life is just like really hard right now. I'm in a season of my life that's just really brutal. And anybody even on the outside would be like, man, what she's going through is brutal. She's probably sad. Um, but I, it was more than just sad. And my husband was very encouraging. My best friend, my sister, everybody in my life is very encouraging. Like if you think you need extra help, you know, there is medication that you can take so that you don't have seven sad days in a row. You know, we're talking, this was, it was not on the outside. Now I'm like, oh, poor Megan. Like (laughs) you really should have taken this step. I saw my physician for my yearly physical um, in 2021. Same exact thing happened to me as what happened when my uh, OB diagnosed me with PPA and PPD. My physician walked in the door and I burst into tears and she was like, this is not okay. And she just like called, she called me out in a kind way, but she was just like, you are shouldering too much for one person. You have, do, you have done things. You've created systems to try to make this better for yourself. You have a supportive partner, all these other things that should, you know, in theory, make this easier. And it doesn't. I strongly believe that coupled with therapy, you need to be on medication. And I don't know why I ever, I don't know why I didn't advocate for that for myself, you know, a year prior, because I don't, I'm not against that at all. Like as soon as she said it to me, I was like, okay, you know, if that's what I need, then that's what I need. And honestly, the difference that it has made in my life, it's like astronomical. Like with time, obviously, any sort of trauma becomes less um, fresh, you know, so time goes on and I'm feeling like I'm healing a little bit through therapy and through other things and just with time. But honestly, taking medicine daily makes me a better person like myself. I'm better, a better wife, a better mother, um, a better business owner, a better colleague, all of these things that I feel like. I don't feel like I wasted any time not doing it. Like I don't, you know, I'm not going to spend time being upset that I didn't, you know, 
take medicine earlier, but I do feel like it's sort of opened up my life. Um, and so now I am very happily medicated <laughs> um, and, you know, have the tools in my toolbox from therapy and just feel super, um, I guess, like open to talking about this, because I think if I had listened to somebody who I could relate to a year ago or more than a year ago, I might have been encouraged to go and seek my doctor out Um so I'm hoping that this is the same here, that if you are listening here and you have felt like maybe there are too many sad days in a row or you're feeling hyper fixated on something that there is therapy and there's more than therapy if you need it. And there is no shame at all. I will happily shake your hand, pat you on the back or give you a hug if you take that step for yourself because it can change your life. Yeah. Well, and I just feel like this doesn't get talked about mm-hmm. a lot, um, at least not these personal stories of this is the journey that I went on Mm -hmm. to get to the point that not only am I taking medication, but I'm proud of it. I'm proud of myself and I'm a better person. Like you said, Um, that's very similar. I'll tell my story in a little bit, but a lot of similarities in our experiences. Um, But thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that, for sharing your story, because I know that's going to be impactful. Yeah. I mean, I, like I've said, I'm a high achieving person. I have a lot of people who depend on me and I like it like that. Like I like having a million balls in the air. Um, and each time I've been in crisis, I felt like I can just push through, which is very likely just a product of how I was raised in the generation that I was raised in. Um, with the idea that like, you know, you don't need therapy and you might, you don't need medication to get through But now I'm very open with my family about the fact that I'm in therapy, my family being like my extended family, even my children. Um, And I talk openly about medication and how it's helped me be my best self. And I feel absolutely no shame in it. And even my dad, who is traditional, um, and he in the past has been, you know, he's the kind of, you know, trudge through. You can wake up and decide to be happy kind of guy. And he's (laughs) the best man in the whole world. But he's now accepting. And he honestly talks to me about it or he'll say to me, you know, have you talked about this in therapy or, you know, um, do you think you need your meds adjusted? Like those are things that are, wow. It, it is honestly, I like, I could cry because it's like, so it rocks my world to even be able to say that out loud. Um, so I think if I can have that effect on my dad, who's like a traditionalist and somebody who has known me my entire life and probably never, like, I haven't even shared most of this stuff with him. Like he probably doesn't even know like the, the darkest of my days, you know, Um, But if he can be open and he can ask questions about it now, I feel like we really are on this cusp of it being just more normal. Um, And I think specifically for mothers, who's probably, you know, the large majority of the people who are listening here, being able to tune in and understand when you need more help than you can offer yourself is so important. Because, I mean, it's like this, the adage of like, you can't pour from an empty cup, like, I can't parent my children if I'm having seven sad days in a row. And like, if I can't parent, I can't be my best self if I can't even, I mean, I can't even make them dinner, you know, like things, or I can't find joy in the things that used to get, bring me joy, like making them a meal used to bring me joy. Like I want to have that back. And so I feel like to be able to do that for yourself will also do something for your family, then for your community, for your work, it all has a snowball effect that can be incredibly positive for you. So well, and our stories are so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't, you can't argue with someone's story because it's right. theirs. <laughs> right. And so when we share our own stories and people see how things are playing out, um, again, that's just so impactful and it's it's helpful. So thank you again for sharing all that. And as someone who was your friend in 2020, mm-hmm. we wanted the universe to stop kicking you in the face too. <laughs> that was, Megan, like, yeah. It was unbelievable. And I like you hit the highlights, but there was there was more. It was just like, oh, my gosh, give this lady a break. It was it was really it was hard to watch everything happening to you. And then, I mean, you're completely helpless. So obviously your friends are completely helpless to stop any of it. Um, You know what, though? Like, I kind of feel like and I wouldn't I mean, I wouldn't wish any of it on my worst enemy. Like, I mean, you know, loss, you know, hard stuff. Like you don't want anybody to, to feel any of that. But at the same time, like I've had a lot of opportunity to reflect. Um, and I've read a lot of books and I've done a lot of therapy and, 
I feel like it really has made me a more empathetic person. Like, I feel like I've always been a giver and I've always wanted good for my people. And I always want to be like the first person who shows up for you because I just, that's like, I feel like I'm on this earth for that. Um, But it has equipped me to help my friends through similar tragedy, honestly. And uh, I think that's something that I, I won't take that for granted. Like to have to go through some of this stuff as a pretty young person, honestly, um, I wish I hadn't. And I, you know, I wish that things had been easier, but that's like, everybody goes through these times in their lives that are where everything is absolutely upside down. And I don't think that'll be the last time, honestly, in my life where everything is upside down. And I, I hope that the lessons that I've learned and the uh, empathy that I've now gained will just be able to help me in the future. Yeah. So I'm actually looking at my favorite quote, maybe in the world Mm. is like pinned up right in front of me. Um, It's by Gloria Vanderbilt. And it says, the rainbow comes and goes in every life. You have moments of blinding beauty and happiness. And then you land in a dark cave and there is no color, no sky. The rainbow returns sometimes only briefly, but it always does come back. Mm -hmm. You have to believe that it will even in the darkest of times. And that quote, when I read it, um, she and her son, Anderson Cooper, actually wrote a book called The Rainbow Comes and Goes. It's an amazing book. And she's telling a lot of her story and a lot of the dark times that she went through. But that hope that after the storm passes, the sun does shine, the birds do sing, and the rainbow is there, that's powerful. And that has gotten me through a lot of dark times. Just I can't see the rainbow yet, but I know it's coming. Yeah, absolutely. And it's definitely when you're in the hole, you're down the rabbit hole. Like I said, it's really hard to get out of that. But I think if you have the tools and you have the hope um, and the, I guess, the knowledge that it is there, it will come. It can definitely get you out. Now, I think we've talked a little bit about the stigmas associated with mental health. But what about all of the obstacles that stand between moms and any kind of self-care? Oh, man. So. This comes up in a lot of my conversations with my mom friends. Um, A lot of us would love to go to counseling every Mm -hmm. week. It's not that we don't want to pursue counseling, but the logistics are overwhelming. So if we go in person, who watches our kids? If we're stay-at-home moms, if we work, do we go during our lunch break? And when do we eat lunch? (laughs) And then are we going after work? And then are we arranging childcare? Um, If we do virtual counseling, where in our house do we go? Like, does anyone with kids have an actually quiet house, like mm-hmm. where we can think and not see the chaos, you know, <laughs> through the door or something? Um, and then, like, can you really commit to an hour every single week? Like, time, time and energy for moms, I say, is a huge obstacle. At least it is for me. Mm-hmm. We don't have a lot of free time for ourselves. And like we say, I think in our trailer for this season, at the end of the day, we're exhausted. And Mm -hmm. so do you really have the energy to go and pour out all your problems to someone at the end of the day? Or are you just kind of ready to binge Netflix and not think about it, you know? Absolutely. And I think, I mean, you bring up a ton of great points. Like I have done virtual therapy in my car, uh, literally like in a winter coat with my headphones on in my car and like calling in. So I prefer talk therapy instead of like on Zoom. I do not like to for like, it's funny because like if I go to therapy in person, I'm fine with my therapist being in the room. I like being in that room and having a place to go and set my, I'll call it my junk, set my junk in that room. Virtual therapy, I don't want them to look at me. It's, you know, <laughs> I'm like, I really I don't like it. I'm like, I turn my video off. Because you can Um, see yourself, too. Yeah, it's so awkward. I feel like I'm just checking my cry face the entire time. (laughs) Um, But I do it in my car or, like, you know, my husband will, like, take the kids somewhere else or, it you know, you it does require that you carve out that time. And not every mom has that time. I do think, um, along with other points that make this difficult, I think, though, when you... If you are able to invest that time and you make it something that's on your calendar... Um, it makes other self-care a little bit easier, honestly. So it's like, if I, I think this is probably with anything, if you carve out an hour to exercise or, you know, it actually probably makes it easier for you to think about how else you can fuel your body in a healthy way, or maybe it makes it easier for you to carve out that therapy time. Um, so I think once you do one thing, it can be a little bit easier. 
Um, with therapy, of course, though, there's the cost that's associated. And I think that's something that we definitely need to talk about. Even with insurance, you're likely paying a copay for every single session, which adds up, especially if you have multiple appointments each month. I have had to decide between doing my therapist offers like once a month, a biweekly or every week. And is there guilt associated with spending that money like on your quote self every week? Um, it can also be nerve wracking to find a good fit like it. And it's totally common for you to find a therapist or, or finally get in on these wait lists to a therapist and it not be the best fit for you. And you have to kind of, it's like dating. You kind of have to start yeah. over. Will the personality click with you? Will they be the right fit? Yeah. No, I have for sure entertained all of these questions and a few truths that I've come up to understand. And a lot of this has just been processing these questions with my mom friends who they're in the same boat. And number one, we need to be supported in our mental health journeys by someone outside of ourselves. And you did a great job speaking to that and how your boyfriend turned husband and your friends and now even your dad have been supporting you. You had help outside of yourself to take care of yourself. And you, you know, you talked about how, yeah, my husband had to take on extra things around the house, but I was worth it. <laughs> he yeah. saw that I was worth it and he was willing to help me. Um, and so we talked last time on the podcast about having a mom village. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely an area where it's going to be a whole lot easier to take care of ourselves if we have that outside support. Mm-hmm. So whether it's your partner or a friend watching the kids or even just verbal permission to do something for yourself, that helps me with guilt a lot of times. Like if my husband verbally tells me that he supports me going and taking a break for an hour or whatever I'm trying to do for myself, I need that verbal validation. Um, I don't need his permission, I guess I should say. I just need like the encouragement and the validation that this is good. Please, please go take care of yourself. Um, So it really helps me to feel supported when my loved ones show up. And then the second truth that I've come to understand, think about if it were your kids who needed weekly counseling, Mm -hmm. the money would not be an issue. Mm -hmm. Full stop. We would find the money. (laughs) We would get them what they need because they're our babies. And I would not even think twice about the expense so why am I not willing to do the same for myself as their caretaker? A hundred percent. And, you know, I'm going to add to this because I have used the analogy many times with other women in my life that if you had a chronic sore throat, you had a sore throat for weeks, for months, for years, and it bothered you every single day, would you see a doctor? Yeah, absolutely. Like 1,000, like not even a question. You would see a doctor. It's the same. Like mental health is health. Yeah, exactly. You would. would, I know I have a sore throat for like two days and I'm like, somebody swab me (laughs) for strep. Um, But really, like if you had an ailment like that, that was more physical, you would get it checked out. Even like I I also think of like things like so depression and anxiety can cause a range of physical symptoms. Your hair can fall out. You can gain or lose weight. You can have no energy or peaks of high energy, all these other things. If you had those types of symptoms and you could equate it to something that was maybe going on physically, you would be going to your doctor and saying, like, I think something is wrong and I need to be checked out. If you can be like, well, that's just because I'm depressed or I'm anxious, eh, you still need to be seeing your doctor. So I think like, yes, you need you need the verbal validation. You need to understand that if it was your child, you would be moving heaven and earth to get them the treatment that they needed. Um, so you should do that for yourself. And the same thing, if it, if it was a physical ailment, you wouldn't be like limping around for a year. You would take care of yourself. Um, so I think when you frame it that way, I mean, nobody listening to this needs permission to seek help. But I hope that it kind of like opens that door. If you can frame it that way for yourself, I hope it opens the door to like, I don't have to live like this. I don't have to limp along. I can go and get help. Yes. Um, well, Shannon, you referenced your professional work in the mental health field. So I think we have we have a resident expert here. I would love it if you tell us a little bit more about your personal experience, though, with mental health care. So I most likely but definitely have had anxiety since childhood, but it was just something that I've always known. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was completely normal. I thought that 
everyone's heart raced when they were walking up to a new group of people and that their palms got sweaty and that they couldn't breathe. Like I thought this was completely normal. Um, I literally did not know any different. It was just with me or honestly my earliest memory is elementary school. So that's a very long time. Um, my anxiety looks like a lot of worry and not just over big things, but minor, minor things too, that usually work themselves out. I overthink a lot. Um, people pleasing. Mm -hmm. I don't want to upset anyone. I want you to be happy with me. And even if I'm unhappy, I've been willing to sacrifice my unhappiness for other people to be happy with me, which is not healthy. And my anxiety definitely shows up in a lot of physical ways. So I referenced like my heart will race and it'll pound so loud. I can hear it in my ears and it's mainly social anxiety. So again, if I'm in a new environment or if I'm meeting new people, I do not feel safe, which is what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. Um, and anxiety, it's interesting. So it's actually a way that your body is trying to protect you. Right. So at some point in your life, you've experienced something that hurt you. And then when you come upon a new or, or a similar situation, your brain remembers that and it sends the anxiety through your body to say, hey, we've done this before and it hurt us. Let's be really careful. Like we need to be very cautious. And um, that it's nice of your body to try to protect you. But at the same time, if it's too much, it's kind of holding you back. And then you're missing out on opportunities or experiences and you're just missing the freedom that you should have going through your life. So I really started to pay attention in adulthood to how my body was reacting um, to anxiety. And I honestly, I started to get really fed up with it. I think I started to notice that, oh, no, not everyone does feel this way in new experiences. And with new people, maybe this isn't normal. And honestly, I probably, I was definitely in my 30s before I ever had the thought, maybe this isn't normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also, I wanted to throw in, it's not just anxiety. I also struggle with seasonal depression January and February are not my friends. Those are really, really hard months for me to get through. Like you said, it's gloomy and it's Mm -hmm. dark and cold. And um, it gets me pretty consistently every year. Um, I also have seen several counselors over the years. So my dad passed away when I was 15 Mm -hmm. in a very, very traumatic accident. And that was my first experience seeing a counselor. And... I mean, I was 15, so I didn't know what to expect when I went to see my counselor, but I ended up loving it. It was fulfilling. I loved the breakthroughs that I would have. I loved the growth that came through processing my feelings, and I learned a lot. Um, And I mean, I do have my master's in social work, so maybe I already kind of had the brain for psychiatry and and mental health care, but I really, it really resonated. And so then over the years, when I've gone through different crises, I've been able to go back to counseling. Um, But I am similar to you where the counseling was great. And I was learning a lot about myself and about the world around me. And I, I had my toolbox and my coping skills and I knew my triggers, but I was still very deeply triggered. And still having like the physical reactions to those triggers. Um, So the first time I asked about going on medications, I was in college and I was meeting with a therapist and I told her, I said, I love the work that we're doing. I had been meeting with her for months, but I said, I think I really might need to be on medication. I think I really might need just a little extra help. And her response to me was that medication should be a very last resort, Mm -hmm. that we had more work to do. I wasn't finished working with her. I needed to work harder. And then if I still felt at the end of our sessions or whatever that I needed to go on medication, then we could talk about it, but not right then. It was too soon. Mm -hmm. 
well, then I felt uncomfortable to ask her again if you know, to go on medication because I felt guilty. I felt like if I were to come back to her and say, yeah, still need that, that I would be saying that I hadn't worked hard enough, that yeah, I hadn't. Like you're failing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That I hadn't done enough or that she wasn't good enough. And so that was that. I I'd never asked about medication again. Well, then fast forward. Um, I'm still struggling with anxiety. And then I start noticing, I think I noticed once I got married that my anxiety would cause me to snap, like be really agitated and irritated. And it showed up like anytime my husband and I were hosting a party, poor guy, I would just be like, you know, this isn't perfect. And and what are we doing? And are you ready yet? And get, you know, help me. And, and just like freaking out and over what, like it's our friends coming over, but in my head, it was a big deal. And, and what I didn't realize is it was that social anxiety creeping up, but I was taking it out on someone that I loved mm-hmm. and just that agitation and just being overly snappy. And then I, I kind of realized I had done that to my mom as well growing up. But when it's your mom that you're being snappy to, you just instantly get in trouble. And so I don't think I had seen that in the same light as then when I started doing that to my husband. Um, so after baby number two, I was not in a good place. Um, We had moved up here from out of state while I was pregnant. I had a toddler. My husband was working long hours in Boston. He was leaving the house at like, I don't know, 7.30 to catch the train and not getting home till nine sometimes. Um, So I basically was with my babies all day, all week from wake up time to bedtime. And I didn't have a lot of friends yet. Um, No family up here whatsoever. Everything was on me and it was heavy. And I felt like I wasn't seen. I felt like nobody really understood everything that I was trying to carry in this move and this transition and supporting my husband and taking care of our home and our brand new kids. And I'm up all hours of the night breastfeeding and I remember, I don't remember what she did, but my daughter did something and I, I yelled at her and my voice boomed. Like I felt it from within my chest and it was like everything that I was carrying exploded Mm -hmm. and I felt it and I knew immediately my yelling had nothing to do with her. And then I saw her, like she sat on our stairs and she starts crying and I looked at her and that was not our relationship. Like I didn't yell at my toddler and I knew that this wasn't me. I knew something wasn't right. So I go to my OB and they talk to me and, you know, they offer, I think I left there with the prescription in my hand for Zoloft or some kind of anxiety and depression medication and I never filled it. I should have, but I still had it in my head. I just need to work harder. I need to be better. I can do this on my own. I've, I've got to, and I can, I'm just not trying hard enough. And then another lie, because that's what it is. Another lie I would tell myself is I'm just sleep deprived. That's what's making me like this. Like once mm-hmm. I catch up on sleep, once the baby's sleeping more through the night, I'll come out of this and, and, you know, it'll be fine. Um, and I mean, that ended up being somewhat true, but it sure wasn't easy. It was, I made it really hard on myself. Um, and it just didn't have to be that hard if I had just filled that prescription, Mm -hmm. but I just, I gave myself grace because I clearly at that point, I wasn't ready Mm -hmm. and that this is, you know, part of my journey. So Finally, like I said, the physical ways the anxiety was showing up, I just hated it. Like I hated being so nervous and clamming up when I was around new people and not having my words and and I just couldn't be myself. And so all this time I'm kind of talking to my friends and my husband and I'm realizing more and more every time we talk that, yeah, not everyone feels this way. It doesn't have to be this way. And I think that's what was so 
transitional for my thinking was realizing it doesn't have to be this way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I finally, I also in 2021, I went to my primary care physician and told him kind of what I had been dealing with and going through and that I was ready. I didn't even really need to have a conversation with him. I was ready to try this next step. And so he wrote me a prescription and this time I did fill it. And, oh, I wish I had started so much sooner. It's, it gave me, I can't even say that it gave me my life back. It gave me my life in a way that I had never known before. I've, you know, never been able to function without just these nerves taking over my body and kind of controlling me. And I'm like you, it's funny when you said, you know, I'm a better mom, I'm a better spouse, I'm a better person. I have written down in my notes, I'm better. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, I'm not, you know, we, I mentioned to my husband after my daughter's birthday party in February, I said, did you notice I didn't snap at you one time today? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, yes, I did. And, um, you know, that was helpful to understand why I would snap at my loved ones before events that it really was like a chemical reaction mm-hmm. happening in my brain and I wasn't controlling it or, you know, I wasn't taking care of it and taking care of myself. So um, I, I, like I said, I wish I had started sooner. I read something the other day that said um, it was someone that had tried to come off of their anxiety medication and they realized that they need to be on it all the time. Mm -hmm. And their post was, it was kind of a grief thing where they were very sad and very hurt and upset that they would have to be on medication likely for the rest of their lives. And I feel that I felt that reading it. And I, I do understand that side of it. It's just not where I'm coming from Mm -hmm. in the situation. Like I'm, I'm so thankful just to be myself. That is huge. It's the first time in my life that I'm able to really say that. And it's helping me to be more of a yes person. I'm more open to experiences because I don't have this crippling anxiety holding me back anymore. Um, I think for me, the way that I've described it is that it just like, it almost like gives me pause. Like before I panic and I've had, you know, struggled with panic attacks and, um, a lot of times we'll wake up in the middle of the night or trouble sleeping or other things that sort of are manifestations of like, you know, mental illness in some way. Um, it, it like pauses that for me. So like, I don't in any way, and I think it can, I think an important like caveat here is that we're obviously not doctors and um, right. you know, yes. different meds for different people and different, you know, I, you know, you can try whatever you need to try before you seek medication. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that, finding the right medication means that you're able to live your life more clearly. It's almost like uh, putting on a pair of glasses is like how I've described it before. Where like I was going through my life, like squinting my eyes and not totally seeing all the good stuff. Um, And then I put on this new prescription of glasses or this tiny little white tablet that I now take every night. Um, And I feel like I can see things more clearly and things don't, um, I don't feel like a zombie in any way, but it doesn't, I don't get riled up as easily and I don't get sad as easily. And I think yeah. it's just really freed me up for that. But I think um, I would encourage any of our listeners, there are many ways to sort of care for yourself. And we want to draw attention to the fact that mental health care for women and for moms is incredibly important. And by sharing our stories, we're just wanting to sort of prove to all of you that you are not alone. Um, we are just two of many. I think it could be... Um, a good time actually to share some sound bites of our team. So we had members of the Boston Moms team call in and weigh in on how they take care of their own mental health. Here are a few. My name's Courtney. I'm a Pembroke mom of one. I prioritize my mental health by making sure that I stay active and exercise, and also by making sure that amidst all the chaos that happens during a work week, that there's still an element of fun, whether it be extending bedtime or staying up late so that my husband and I can watch our favorite shows or even doing something small for myself, like a face mask or going to get a pedicure. My name is Colleen and I'm a Chelmsford mom of two. I prioritize my mental health by making plans with my girlfriends and getting away for overnights every once in a while. Hi, my name is Kristen and I'm a Boston mom of three and I prioritize my mental health by going running. Hi, my name is Chelsea. I'm a Groveland mom of one, 
And I prioritize my mental health by making sure I see a therapist and making sure my nails are done because it helps me feel just a little bit more put together. My name is Angie. I'm a North Shore mom of two. I prioritize my mental health by going on a daily walk, exercising, and meditating. We could honestly talk for multiple episodes on this topic. It's just so important. Um, And there's no reward for neglecting ourselves as moms. Um, The opposite is actually true. Our families will function better with a mom who has taken the time to fill her tank instead of running on empty. If after listening to this episode, you feel that you'd benefit from reaching out to a mental health professional, we're linking resources for you online at bostonmoms.com in the show notes of this episode. So this last question is one that we plan on asking all of our guests on the Wicked Good Momcast. But since our guests this week are pre-recorded, Megan, would you please do the honors? What are you loving about raising a family in Greater Boston? So I saw that this question was in the show notes for me and I didn't prepare because I was like, I feel like I need to go off the cuff with this one. Um, so my I've, I was born and raised in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And so my heart is here. Actually, my family... Um, came over on the Mayflower and then never left Plymouth. So oh, wow. I, yeah, I have like very deep roots here. Um, three of, so like for my four grandparents, three of them trace directly back to the Mayflower. So I'm a Mayflower descendant. That's amazing. <laughs> it is cool. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things that honestly, my husband and I, we were uh, away for several years. He was in the military serving the country. And so um, we didn't live in Massachusetts for many years. And when we decided to uh, become civilians and move back, uh, move out of the military, we made a uh, pros and cons list. And so like, we felt like we could go anywhere in the world. Honestly, we were both employable. We had, um, the world was our oyster. And so we considered many different places because we had now seen and met a lot of people from a lot of different places through the military. And we kept landing at being in Boston. Mm-hmm. That's where our families are. Um, that's where, you know, we feel at, at home. Like really the culture here is very much how we wanted to raise our children. And um, that's why we landed here. But I would say Boston <laughs> and greater Boston I don't know. I feel like it's like it really is like there's a ton of opportunity here. So for us, we felt like when we moved home um, back to Boston, we live now on the South Shore, that if we landed here, we'd have the support of our family. But uh, like outside of that, there's so much opportunity in this area. So the fact that, you know, we could both change jobs if we needed to. There's other jobs here. There's a ton of industry. There are houses. And, you know, now we have to go further and further outside of the city to find one. But you can find uh, housing here. Um, it's a metro area that is not yet boomed in the same way as some others around the country, like New York and San Francisco and other places. And so we just felt like there's a lot of opportunity here. And then because of that, a lot of opportunity for our families. So whatever our children grow up and desire to be, they really can be that, whether that's going into a trade or going to one of the most incredible colleges in the country. They're here in Boston. Um, So I think the opportunity really is something that it's what brought us home along with our family and is something that I really do love about raising kids here in greater Boston. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in. It really, really does mean the world to us. And our hope is that you leave this conversation feeling encouraged and a little less alone in this motherhood journey. We will be back soon with a brand new episode. In the meantime, please subscribe or follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a positive review so that we can reach even more moms who might benefit from this space. Thank you again to the Boston Moms team for contributing to this episode in such an impactful way. Remember, you are a wicked good mom. Thanks for listening.